0: Okay, Jeff Vance, Darrell Revis.
1: Baby is off the board. The New York Jets select the Dexton, really though, we fire up the New York Jets. Pressure just makes it go a little more. I kind of like pressure a little bit. The New York Jets select.
0: Welcome to another episode of NFL Draft Preview presented by Verizon with the Athletics. Dane Brugler. Dane, we're recording on March fifteenth, one p.m. We literally just found out per Adam Schefter that Janu Smith has reached an agreement with the Patriots. So we're talking draft, but right now this is where the draft picture starts to become a little more crystallized for each team. I'm just curious as someone that goes through mock drafts and makes your own mock drafts and you try to put needs to teams, how much how much changes between now, the first couple of weeks of free agency, and the draft?
1: Oh, certainly. Uh, things get uh... – shook up uh, in terms of where teams are looking for. Um, You know, we think that they're going to go in a certain position, then they address that position in free agency, and all of a sudden it's not a need anymore. Um, But I think for all teams, they try to address those needs in free agency. That way they can go into the draft with an open mind, a clean slate, and say let's just go best player available, and they're not uh, locked into a certain position. And so I think we're going to see that from a lot of teams, and that really makes it more interesting on draft weekend Uh, when instead of absolutely needing an offensive tackle or a pass rusher, they address those needs, and they can go in any direction and really makes it more fun, uh, tougher for us to project what's going to happen. But as uh, bottom line, as a fan of the draft, it makes it a lot more fun on draft day.
0: We're talking about the edge players, and Shaq Barrett has already re-signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Romeo Aquara has re-signed with the Lions. A lot of Jets fans are clamoring For an edge presence on this team as the Jets transition from a 3-4 to a 4-3 front, let's talk about some of these prospects. There's no Miles Garrett in this year's class, no Bosa brother, no Chase Young. So with that being said, let's throw out the number two pick in terms of edge and let's head to pick 23 for the Jets. Who do you think is at the top of this class that could be available at pick 23?
1: It starts with Aziz Adjulari, uh, in my opinion, uh, pass rusher out of Georgia. Uh, he redshirt his first year, had an ACL tear his senior year of high school. And then the last two years, he's been uh, really productive. Led the SEC in sacks, tackles for loss this past season. See a lot of Yannick Ngakwe uh, with what he offers off the edge. Uh, it, not only is he physically uh, impressive with his burst and get off. But he understands how blockers want to attack him, and he's very skilled at using that against him, uh, against blockers. So he can detach, he's got violent hands. Not the biggest guy. you know. He's 6'2", 245, and so initially you look at him and say, okay, well, maybe a 3-4 only guy, but this guy plays physical. He can play the run, he plays with instincts, um, he's very explosive. And so if you have a chance to get him, I think he is uh, scheme-proof. So you don't have to fit him in a certain uh, alignment, a uh, certain formation. He could fit as a uh, just a pass rusher. If you can't fit him into your defense, you need to change the defense. So I think Aziz Adulari, uh, he's in that conversation somewhere in that late first round. I think it would be a great pickup for the Jets.
0: And what about someone like Jalen Phillips?
1: Yeah, and Phillips is, you could make an argument, maybe the best pure pass rusher in this class. Now he's complicated. Uh, a former top recruit uh, out, of, uh, out of California, and not just a five star. Uh, he was the five star, the top recruit in the country. Um, his time at UCLA was a little bit short lived. Injuries, uh, they actually asked him to medically retire. He decided he wasn't done. So he goes to Miami, and this past year was outstanding. He had eight sacks, 15 and a half tackles for a loss. Uh, You know, led the team in both areas, just a very smooth, agile player. Uh, There's no stiffness with how he moves. He gets upfield quickly. Uh, He's got an NFL frame. He can play with power. Uh, He's got the speed to power moves. And I think he keeps blockers guessing with how he's going to attack because he can win in so many different ways. So as a pure pass rusher, there's a lot to be excited about with Jalen Phillips. Just it's going to come down to. Uh, The off field, the medical, and where do teams stand there? And it's just, it's going to come down to the doctors. Do they give me the thumbs up or thumbs down in terms of, uh, you know, what he's going to be for us? Is he worth that first round pick? That's ultimately going to determine his NFL draft grade. But based just on the talent on the field, he he is a no brainer first round pick.
0: So I want to keep on Phillips for a minute because I think what you said is crucial, at least for people on the outside looking in. They see medically retired, they're like, why would, why would I want him on my team if, in theory, he could take one hit, get hit in the wrong place, and be like, you know what? Uh, I'm done. And so can you clarify what happened at UCLA that made them want him to medically retire and what happens behind the scenes? What do teams need to figure out about Phillips in terms of his medical history and do they have to figure out if he – is he one hit away from calling it quits from football?
1: Yeah, really, what happened at UCLA revolved around concussions. Um, He had three diagnosed concussions um, uh, throughout his time. And, you know, there were some other minor things. He had, you know, wrist surgery and uh, he was involved in a traffic accident that where he was thrown from his moped and had a broken hand. Um, uh, so you know, there, there's certain things with his durability pass that are certainly red flags and make you take some pause. And this is what this is why you have a training staff. This is why you have doctors on on call as an NFL team to be able to understand. Okay, what were the injuries? How have you recovered? And what are the like? What's the likelihood of those injuries happening again? Um, Now, you know, the greatest predictor of future injuries is past injuries. So certainly uh, I think that teams are looking at Jalen Phillips as, okay, he's talented, but, and that's where the doctors come in. And you have to leave it up to the doctors. If the doctor says, you know what, the way he played this past year, because he was fully healthy this past year for Miami, played 10 games. uh, If the doctors say, you know, he should be fine and he's at no more risk than any other player uh, playing this violent game then you feel good about it. But if the doctor has concerns, you have to trust the doctor. Uh, you know, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And, and so that's going to make uh, the Phillips projection very complicated.
0: He has great size. I mean, he's listed on at Miami's website, six five two sixty six. I mean, yeah. just between these two guys, between Aziz and Jalen, do you think one of them is a better 4-3 fit, which is obviously what the Jets are now implementing under Robert Sala and Jeff Ulbricht?
1: Yeah, and when you go think about the prototype for a 4-3 end, uh, Phillips, he certainly fits the bill. Uh, not only does he have the size, but he has twitch. He gets upfield quickly. Uh, he can use his hands, his reach as weapons. Uh, and he plays with uh, the pursuit speed that you want, the competitiveness that you want. Uh, so he can be equally effective versus the run in the pass. So I think just on paper, Jalen Phillips would be that guy. But I'll tell you what, Aziz Adjulari, even though he is a little bit undersized, six-two, two forty-five. 245, uh, he plays much bigger because of his ability to play stout at the point of attack. He can set a hard edge. Uh, he's not a guy that's going to get run over on the run game. So, you know, Aziz Ajilari, I, I think it, you know, it would not scare me at all, even if I'm a four three team uh, drafting a player like that, because I think he can hold up versus the run.
0: And I mean, you mentioned Aziz in the same breath as Yannick and Gakwe. Yannick and mm-hmm. might have tailed off the past this past season, but when he first got drafted by the Jaguars, he became one of the most consistent pass rushers in the NFL. And if they're similar size, I mean, you know, that that is a good player to have for the Jets style wise, because you can get upfield, you can play with speed. So we'll see what type of free agents the Jets will bring in if they do so at edge along the defensive line. And obviously we'll have to monitor the draft, but if that player is not, at pick twenty-three, let's say the Jets don't go edge in the first round. They also have pick thirty-four at the top of the second. Which players are in that range that you think could make sense for the Green and White?
1: Well, Joseph Asai from Texas certainly stands out as one of those uh, guys that you know could be available in the second, and, and you know should be on the radar. Uh, a little bit of a, le- a linear athlete, uh, you know, he's a little stiff through his hips, and, and so he doesn't have ideal. Uh, fluidity to uh, easily redirect, but I'd say his foot is always on the gas Uh, locked in effort. He might be the best pursuit player in this draft because he plays so dang hard Uh, and it showed up in the stat sheet. I mean, you look at this past year, 16 tackles for loss the year before 13 and a half tackles for loss. So I I wish he's had a little bit more variety with how he attacked the pocket. He's more of just a go, go, go type of guy. And that's great that you want that on your team. But at the same time, uh, in the NFL, you need a little more nuance to how you attack the pocket. And so that's where he needs to improve and get better. Uh, But he's just a relentless pursuit player. Uh, He's got some explosiveness to him. uh, And he'll use his hands. He's got some power. He's got a quick stab. Uh, He can soften the edge. So Joseph Osai, uh, you know, a guy in the second round that I think would make some sense.
0: And last year, we talked about someone, Carlos Boogie Basham. And he was a senior this year. He went back for his senior year. He declared for the draft. Is he also in this second round range?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think he's, uh, you know, somewhere in that top 50. Uh, You know, could he sneak into the first round? It's possible, but I think probably more likely he's available somewhere early second. Um, And he's a guy that's just been consistently productive. Um, He actually had a, between October 2018 and October 2020, he had at least one tackle for loss in 23 straight games. So this is a guy who, he, he, you know, he will show up in the stat sheet. He shows up on tape. He gives you scheme versatility. He can be a base end, uh, size, explosiveness, effort. It's all there.
0: This is a kind of a two-part question. What is the drop-off between, let's say, Adjulari and Phillips compared to Osai and Basham? And can any of these guys, do you think, kick inside if their number was called to do so?
1: Basham would make the most sense to you know maybe kick inside reduce on passing downs because his hands have some pop. Uh, he's more of that upfield guy. He's not a, a bend uh, type of rusher, and so you want a guy that can just get upfield quickly. Uh, Basham can do that, and you know it's it's tough because this pass rusher class you set it up at the top. There's no Miles Garrett. There's no uh, Bosa brother Chase Young. Those guys at the top, but there's a really uh, congested group of pass rushers and everybody's order and how they stack these guys. is going to be a little bit different. Aziz Adjulari is my top rusher. Other people see him as maybe the fourth or fifth rusher in this class. Carlos Basham might be a little bit higher. Joseph Osai might be a little bit lower. You know, it's it, it's really kind of pick your flavor in terms of, what type of rusher you're looking for what kind of upside you see for him so um you know it's it's a really interesting mix because i don't think there's a lot of room separating each one of these players
0: in terms of osai you mentioned his motor and yeah. maybe this is a bad generalization but it feels like typically in the draft there are players who have talent and there are players who are high effort players so where what is the blend Maybe not even like percentage-wise, but something in that vein between Osai's talent and his motor.
1: Well, he certainly has both. I think it's more about unlocking all of that talent. Um, You know, because it's not—it's not a talent issue. It's not like he's uh, you know deprived of talent, and he makes up for it with his effort uh, and his hustle. He certainly has talent. It's just a matter of uh, streamlining that talent. So you know, he's he's just a more savvy player. Uh, you know, he, I, I, like I said before, he just doesn't have a lot of variety with how he attacks. Uh, he's not an elite bend type of guy, uh, because he has a little bit of that stiffness. And so you want to see him use his hands a little bit better, uh, and not just powerful. Um, and so it, it, instead of just relying on that hustle, you want to see him have a more controlled rush plan. And I think he can do it. It just, he needs to get with a, uh, a coaching staff. That's going to be able to unlock that, uh, all, all that talent. And I think the Jets, Uh, with the defensive coaching they have on that team, they could certainly do so.
0: You know, you mentioned this about Carlos Basham, but I just want to reiterate it because it's pretty impressive. One tackle for loss, at least in 23 straight games. I mean, in a couple words, what, as an evaluator, why does that stand out?
1: Well, look, I... Production can be a little bit overrated sometimes. Um, you know, it, sometimes that the production is a, it's a cleanup stat, or you know, it's a mistake by the offense. Um, and you know, the even though it shows up in the stack sheet, it wasn't really an impressive play. But when you do it. Day after day, game after game, uh, production, that really stands out. It, it, the level of consistency. Um, so it's not just you beat up a, an inferior opponent, maybe a, you know, a, a, a team had an inferior tackle, and he just beat them up all game, and that's where the bulk of his production came from. He did it consistently every single game in the ACC. So just a really impressive stretch. And you have to factor, too, 2018, That's a, that was a sophomore year. So he did it as a young player, and he did it as an older player, uh, junior year, senior year. So uh, the track record that you have, uh, really impressive. And I don't know that Basham necessarily has this huge ceiling, but when you have uh, that track record of consistency, you feel pretty good that he also has a high floor.
0: Moving on, the Jets have two third-round picks. If they were to address Edge in the third round, who makes sense there?
1: Uh, well, I, th- I think one player that really uh, is maybe flying under the radar right now, and it's because of his injury, and that's why we're talking about him in the third round. Uh, Dio Odengbo out of Vanderbilt, um, and I think he would be really interesting for the 49ers because uh, of just the versatile skill set. He can rush inside, can rush outside. Um, you know, he's he's a really long player, and we we plays low, and he doesn't allow his pad level to get high. He can really move defenders or blockers at the point of attack. He's got that length, that speed to power, physical hands. He can lock out shock, um, but he also has quick feet. So, you know, he can swipe, he can arm over, um, you know, widen his base and, uh, you know, just do different things. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot there. And, but again, the Achilles injury during training, uh, which happened in January, which really unfortunate. Uh, took him out of the senior bowl. Uh, You know, we, I've been told that he's on the fast track and should play as a rookie. But, you know, of course uh, this is another situation where it comes down to the medicals and just being comfortable with where he is in his recovery. So if, uh, if, if Dio's in a good spot in terms of his recovery, he could end up being a bargain in the third round.
0: Dio Odangbo, great name. So two parts here with the jets having a plethora of picks. Do you think that, Joe Douglas could think or see a guy like this in the third round and say, you know what, because we have so many picks, maybe this is worth the value selection because in theory, the Jets will have other players drafted that could play day one and be a part of training camp. And the second part of this is based on talent alone, let's say Dio never had the injury. Is he a round two player?
1: Yeah, I think without the injury, we're talking about Dio as a top 50 guy. Um, he's got that type of ability and potential, so you know it's it, you know it comes down to philosophy and obviously what the what the doctor says uh, in terms of his recovery. If if the doctor says you know we've seen the injury, um, he should make a full recovery and be at full health at some time mid season and ready to go. I, that you're talking about a, a full round discount and you still get a really good player with a high ceiling. So it comes down to preference and you know the, the your level of patience with a player like that. But I think that'd certainly be an intriguing value if you get a talent like that in the third round.
0: Is there another third-round edge presence that you think Jets fans should be aware about?
1: Uh, you know, I, another one to mention, uh, Houston's Peyton Turner. Um, you know, he's a really, really long player. We know that this uh, uh, new Jets staff, they value length. They value uh, guys with uh, uh, the, the get-off uh, to be disruptive. And they also value competitive energy. That, that may be the, the the three strengths that Peyton Turner brings to the field. He's got those long strides, so he eats up grass in a hurry. Uh, and uh, just like I mentioned with Osai, he's, he's an outstanding pursuit player. I mean, you watch his Houston tape. He's making some plays down the field. He has no business making. Um, but because of his motor and his relentless energy, he's making some of those plays. Really long player. And, you know, I think there's he's still raw uh, in certain areas. He's high cut. And so he needs to learn how to play lower and, uh, you know, use his uh, his strengths to his advantage. But you've got a really talented guy here who just needs coaching. And I I think you could, with a patient coaching staff, could end up uh, far outplaying where he's drafted if he ends up going to the third round.
0: So the interior of the Jets defensive line. Headlined by Quinn and Williams, the, is debatably the biggest strength on this team. But let's say the Jets want to add some depth on day three. Who are some players that you think could make sense for the Jets?
1: Well, you know, a, a guy that I think would bring some versatility to play inside outside would be uh, Oso Digizua out of UCLA, um, who is, you know, right around that 280, 285 mark. Uh, he was a defensive tackle uh, at UCLA, played inside. Uh, and I think he could do that even at 285, but he also play outside be a, a base end. So even fronts, odd fronts. I mean, he could do both. He's not scheme dependent. Um, you know, he's a really talented player who uh, is a former three-time champion wrestler in high school. Uh, and that translates to the field with his, uh, his hand strength. Uh, he can defeat blocks at the point of attack. Uh, you really like his ability to play both the pass and the run. Um, he can be disruptive in the backfield. He had 27 and a half tackles for a loss uh, over his career. That's more tackles for loss than games started. So now I, I'd like to see him be a little more efficient as a pass rusher in terms of breaking down the block and uh, getting to the backfield. But he's got those disruptive qualities that, you, that you're that you looking for and that you want to coach up. So uh, Oso digizu if I'm getting him early day three, uh, I'm feeling really good about the talent I'm adding to my roster.
0: First of all, Osa Odigizua, the best name that we've come across to date in recording NFL draft preview. We'll see what what the rest of the month plus or so holds. But what about one more day three, maybe inside-outside player that you think could fit what the Jets are looking for if they go in that direction?
1: Uh Chauncey Golston's a player I really like out of Iowa. Uh, you know, a lightly recruited player who uh, goes to Iowa and he just outworked everybody in front of him. Gets on the field, became a team captain, three-year starter. Um, you know, the the speed is average, but I'd tell you, he's got that downhill mentality, physical hands. I love his play recognition. Uh, you don't see him fooled very often. He trusts what he sees. He reacts and makes plays. Um, you know, he's a little tight with how he moves, and that's why we're talking about a day-three player. But he's long, he's strong, and he just doesn't quit working to the football. So, a high, intangible player who, uh, you know, he's going to be a role player. um, But, you know, you need guys like this. You need those worker bees uh, on your defensive line, rotational players that can come in, play inside, outside, give you a little bit of versatility. I think he'd be a great piece to add to that defensive line.
0: All right. Right before we head to some fan questions, I'm just curious what's the best draft name that you've ever come across? Oh, wow. I know there's Dennis. a lot. There's one that stands out to me in recent years that I just like his name. I'm not going to tell you who it is yet, but I'm just hmm. curious from your from your seat, is there a name that either you think is really cool or it was just a real tough name to pronounce and you finally got it down?
1: Talking about Lois. Oh, Diggy Zua is a good one. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, you know, I think one <laughs> – uh he's a corner in this year's class uh, out of Nebraska. His name's DiCaprio Boodle. Uh, <laughs> and it, he was born in 1997. so Titanic came out in 1997. so the you know Leonardo DiCaprio I I, I, I don't you know maybe that's where that came from, but DiCaprio Boodle uh, probably a PFA, maybe a late rounder uh cornerback out of Nebraska. Uh, just a really fun name in this class.
0: He might be a seventh rounder or a sixth rounder based on just, name alone. Exactly. Actually, based on name alone, he might be the number one overall pick.
1: Exactly. But who is the who the name? What was the name you were thinking of?
0: Hercules Mataafa. Yeah. Love that name.
1: No, it just, it's just fun to say. I mean, he's it is you fun know to he, say. Mataafa. Just a, is a is a fun name to play. He was a fun player. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't worked out for him, but uh, his name will live on.
0: his name will definitely live on. So let's, let's wrap up this episode with some fan questions. Let's bring on the first question from sun moonrise 31. I'm not quite sure what sun moonrise means, but he wants to know, or she wants to know which pure defensive end or defensive end outside linebacker hybrids. Do you think the jets will look at between rounds two and four? So I I don't know what a hybrid D E O L B looks like in a four, three. I feel like maybe that's kind of miscast, but Somebody that we haven't talked about, Dane. I know you said that there are different clusters. Who stands out to you that you think could be an option for the Jets? Just somebody that you did not mention but could have mentioned.
1: Uh, Well, I I mentioned Osai. I think that would be, um, if we're talking about a hybrid, um, I think Osai kind of fits that mold where he could play in a 4-3, but he's, he's really more of a hybrid with what he offers. Uh, another one is Joe Tryon from Washington, um, who would play standing up. He put his hand on the ground, did a little bit of everything. Uh, he was an opt-out, so we haven't seen him this year. But his his 2019 film was really encouraging. And you know it's too bad we couldn't see him on the field this year because he looked like he was ready for a breakout. Um, I expect him to test really well. A lot of his traits trans, should translate well to the NFL level. So uh, Joe Tryon could be, if we're looking for that that hybrid player in the second round, osai or joe tryon fit the bill all
0: right let's move on to the next fan question will wants to know who do you think the jets will go after in the second round so will is probably asking about edge rushers so i'm going to go in a different direction because we've discussed this so last week on the quarterbacks episode dane you said if you were the general manager of the jets if you were joe douglas you take zach wilson at two so for the so for the sake of this exercise Zach Wilson's the number two overall pick. Let's just say either Aziz or Jalen Phillips is the pick at 23. If you were Joe Douglas, which direction would you then go in at 34? I think a lot of the popular positions would be adding a wide receiver or a cornerback.
1: Yeah, and I I would say right now that I'm not going to forecast what I would do, you know, because you let the board fall to you. Um, and so, but I, I do think wide receiver, corner, those would make the most sense Um, while also keeping an open mind to see who who might fall to you with, you know, it, with, with an early second round pick, you know, you might have a first round grade still out there, Uh, even if it might not seem like an immediate need. I, I think you jump on that first round grade all day, but let's stick at wide receiver or corner, uh, you know, Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. If he's there, I, I like that fit uh, a lot uh, a, a savvy receiver who's going to help uh you know your rookie quarterback in this scenario uh or whoever's playing quarterback um i I think rashad bateman is uh you know a a near nfl ready player so he's going to contribute pretty early in his nfl career and and then if we go on a corner uh i tell you i love elijah Molden, uh the corner the nickel corner out of washington he's so much fun to watch play uh is a quarterback hunter um he's got a little buddha baker in him uh maybe not quite as twitchy but he has, in terms of instincts, in terms of his ball awareness, uh, the ability to make plays, uh, he reminds me a lot about him. And so, you know, is he a nickel corner only? Is he, Can he play outside? Is he more of a safety? Teams are really split on that, on his ideal position. But, um, you know, it, I just I want him on my team. Uh, I think he's going to upgrade the defense from day one. Uh, probably best is that nickel corner.
0: You mentioned some of the – first of all, two great names, two great options. We're going to break down the receivers in the corners as we inch closer to the draft. But you did mention you let the board dictate maybe someone just throwing this out there. Travis Etienne is a popular mock draft name at 23. Maybe if he sneaks out at 34, maybe you consider it there. Also, you got to keep your eye on the offensive line because you know Joe Douglas, no matter what happens in free agency, will always put an emphasis on the offensive line, whether that's interior or at one of the tackles. So we'll obviously monitor as free agency goes on. Let me check my phone. Oh, well, it doesn't look like anything's happening yet. So other than the fact that John Smith signed with the Patriots. So with that being said, let's wrap up the fan section with one final question. Hunter wants to know, are there any specific edge rushers that we should keep an eye on for the draft? So this is very generic. So I'm going to tailor the question here. You mentioned the cluster, how everybody has the edge ranked in a different order. So two guys you didn't mention that I think are other popular names at the top of some clusters someone like Michigan's Quitty Pay or Miami's Gregory Rousseau he might not be there at 23 maybe none of them neither of those two are there at 23 but can you give us the skinny on both of those guys and why they make sense as thir- as first round options
1: both are really talented and both are kind of tough to figure out um you know Rousseau with his background being a wide receiver and safety most of his life moved to defensive end his senior year in high school goes to Miami. He red shirts his first year. And then uh, 2019 as a sophomore uh, leads the ACC, 19 and a half tackles for loss, 15 and a half sacks. Um, now it wasn't just traditional rush off the edge. And that's how he was productive. They would line him up and nose tackled, uh, you know, let him shoot gaps and just use that length and upfield speed to his advantage. Um, yeah. You know, he's still learning how to play the position. And so there's a level of development still needed with him. And for a player that, Opted out this past year, it can make it difficult uh, projecting him in terms of what are you getting as a rookie from him? How long before uh, you know he's going to uh, you know, live up to uh, that that status of being an, uh, an early round pick? So I think he's an intelligent player. Um, I think he has traits that you can build off of, and I think if you're looking at absolute ceiling, you're talking about Chandler Jones. But again, that's absolute ceiling. You know, can he reach that level? There's a little bit of faith. That's needed with a player like this, uh, and then with Quitty Pay, um, you know, he's a you know a uh, little bit late to the game. Uh, grew up in Rhode Island. Uh, you know, he was he was born. Um, his, his family was uh, taken out of war torn Liberia, um, and he really made something out, out of himself uh, with uh, the sport of football. And I think he's he's looking to take that to the highest level in the NFL. Uh, but this past year, uh, you know, four games, four tackles for loss, two sacks. Uh, didn't really have the production, but they didn't really let him just let loose off the edge, pin his ears back and go. Uh, they lined him up inside the tackle, and you know, he's taking on blocks and uh, just you know, want to see him use that, uh, those gifts to his advantage because he's going to test outstanding. Uh, when Michigan finally has their pro day, so Quiddy Pay is really, really interesting because he has the talent, he's got the traits, projectable upside. Uh, but it's just, you know, you you need to get the more more out of him, and you wish you saw that at the college level. So uh, it's a really interesting group of pass rushers because, again, we could poke holes in all these guys. Um, You know, there's something about each one of these players, whether it's Jalen Phillips and his medicals or uh, maybe Aziz Adjulari and him not being prototypical size. Um, All I know is, you know, with with Robert Allen and his staff coming over, um, I, I just can't wait to see what they do with that defense, specifically the front seven. Uh, you know, they emphasize being disruptive and forcing turnovers. I think if you're going to, uh, you know, look at this defense and you know, point to two principles, it's those two things: be disruptive, force turnovers. And so, if you know Quinn and Williams, if he were a stock, I'd be looking to snatch up as much as I could. But at the same time, in order for him, for Quinn and Williams to be that double-digit sack guy, we think he can be in this aggressive upfield scheme need to upgrade the pieces around him. So, you know, he's getting those one-on-one opportunities and, uh, you know, getting a chance to to disrupt the pocket. So adding pass rush is going to be so important. And so it'll be interesting to see the jets, which, which pass rushers in this group, they value over others.
0: Final question before we wrap up the episode, I know there's no miles Garrett. There's no premier talent at the top of this draft class, but is this a good overall class? The Jets most likely looking for an edge presence. You mentioned Salah's front four and front seven, really, and getting after the quarterback. Is this a good marriage for the Jets in this year's class?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's, if you're going to just list the deepest positions um, in this group, in this draft class, I, I think that at the top, you're pass rusher, corner, wide receiver. I think those three positions are just in terms of being deep and offering talent at every level, at every round. Um, I think pass rusher certainly qualifies because, you know, we, we could talk fourth, fifth, sixth round, even the seventh round where you're going to get guys that were productive in college. that guys are going to come in and compete. So, you know, usually we have, uh, you know, 26, 27, 28 pass rushers drafted every year. This year I have draftable grades on over 30 pass rushers. So I think it's a really good group and I, a good bet. I mean, you, you want to attack this position early in the draft. But if you want to double up and get a Jonathan Cooper from Ohio State in the seventh round, uh, you can do that. A Malcolm Coons from Buffalo uh, in the seventh round, uh, Shaka Tony from Penn State. I mean, it, we go on and on. There's a lot of names we could mention uh, as being late round guys who could come in and earn a, earn a roster spot, or at the very least, uh, they're on the practice squad, they're a project, and you know could earn a roster spot, uh, you know, a year from now. So a lot of talented edge rusher this year.
0: Now you're just flexing on us with the name drops at the end there. That's how you no, know the, that the beast, is, the, the beast is, you know, in coming. theory, maybe like 15, 20 days away.
1: That's the hope. That's the hope. I mean, it's the biggest thing this year with the with, with the Beast is got to get all the Pro Day information in there. So right. the Pro Days will stretch until the first or second day in April. Um, And so getting those, you know, with no combine data, Need to get all that Pro Day data. It, it, it's, it's it's imperative this year. Uh, it's imperative every year, but even more so this year. So once we get past the, all those Pro Days, that'll kind of be the final, uh, the final touches uh, before we hit send on that thing.
0: And we are very much anticipating and eager to look forward to the beast whenever that may come. I know your date is April 1st, to, at least to be in the editor's hands. But with the combine, no combine, like you said, relying on Pro Day information, got to cut Dane some slack, okay? So that's all, I, I that's all we have. I appreciate that, yeah.
1: No, yeah, it, it's because it it it's, come it's, it's coming, I mean, the draft's what, April 29th. So, yep. you know, even if it is April 5th, April 7th, uh, you know, there's still going to be a, you know, a good three weeks before draft data, to try to fully consume everything in there.
0: Even if it was April 9th, you know, that's 20 days. That's good enough yeah. for most people, you know?
1: Well, I, I don't know. I mean, the word count last year was two hundred fifty thousand. So, oh my try to we'll, we'll, we'll see this year if it's uh, above or below that that point. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't forecast that. I just, I, I do as many reports as I can and see wh- when the dust settles what we're at. So it'll be interesting.
0: I think that was you just unofficially placed the first over under bet on this podcast.
1: <laughs> there you go. I, <laughs> I and I, I don't even know how to handicap that. I, I just know that uh, it, it's going to come close to that two hundred fifty number.
0: I guess we'll see in, you know, hopefully about 20, 25 days. That's all we have on this episode of NFL Draft Preview presented by Verizon with The Athletic's Dane Brugler. Dane, thanks a lot. Get after the beast, and we'll see you next week.